For what do I have If I don't have you, Jesus What in this life Could mean anymore You are my rock You are my glory You are the lifter of my head Hi, and welcome to The Rock's Podcast. Jesus often used parables, a story within a story, to illustrate spiritual truths so that those who were sincerely open to a relationship with God could understand and respond with faith. Let's join Pastor Carlin now as he leads us through a series on the parables of Jesus. All right, we're going to begin, so I'd like to invite you back to your seat so we can get started. If you're just joining us tonight, we have been looking at the parables of Jesus. We started last week. In Matthew 13, we'll be there again today. And uh, tonight we're gonna be looking at the parable of the sower. So our text will be Matthew 13. We'll start with verses three through nine. Then we'll skip down to verses 18 through 23 and look at the parable of the sower. So why don't you make your way there in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, it will also be displayed on the screens for you. Uh, But I will ask the Lord now uh, for his grace. So why don't you join me in, uh, in prayer? Heavenly Father, we do just stop to look to you. This is the reason you came, you said, was to preach. Lord, we know that your word is important. It's life and death. We pray now, God, that your word would be illuminated before us, that everyone here, God, who's gathered would hear your word, that your word would find good soils we'll talk about tonight. Pray, Lord, that we would leave this place uh, just firmly established in you, and uh, in any area of our life where we're not right with you, God, we pray that would be fixed right here in this place tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I will start off with reading uh, verses three through eight, and then we'll come back and talk about it. So Jesus is telling a parable. He says, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came out, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. The other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked out the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, 160 and 30 times what was sown. Then Jesus finishes this and says, whoever has ears, let him hear. Now, Jesus continues and explains what this parable means to his followers and and his disciples who were close to him. He continues, and I'll read that now too. Verse 18, he says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away, uh, snatches away what has been sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky places refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they'll last only a short while. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. 
This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So we're gonna look at four points tonight, and this is our theme tonight for this parable. The theme is the heart responses to the gospel. And the first heart we'll look at is the hard heart. The second heart we'll look at is the shallow heart. The third heart will be called the divided heart. And finally, the fourth heart will be the fruitful heart. So before we begin, it's important to have a background to understand the context of why he's speaking in parables as we discussed last week. And so I'll summarize that again for you. So the book of Matthew was written to the Jews. It seems to be answering the question as we discussed last week, if Jesus is the promised Messiah, where is his promised kingdom? It's all over the Old Testament, the prophecies. He's coming in his kingdom. Where is the kingdom if he was the Messiah, they would ask. And Matthew shows that one, Jesus is the promised Messiah and he proves it through genealogy, through fulfilled prophecy, and through Messiah miracles, miracles only the Messiah could do. And Matthew shows why the promised kingdom didn't come physically right then, and this is where we're at in the book of Matthew. Jesus has done all of these things. He's fulfilled the prophecy. He said the time has come. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And he did miracles to prove he was the Messiah. He did uh, uh, healings all over the place. Uh, people knew this was no ordinary man, and his, his healings and miracles were confirming his words. But by the time we get to Matthew 11, we start seeing that all these towns he was going to and doing these miracles at had rejected his teaching. They loved the miracles. They loved the stuff about Jesus. They just weren't interested in Jesus. They weren't interested in his teaching. They weren't interested in the truth. They wanted something here and now. How is that gonna help me here and now, they're asking. How's that gonna change my life today? Uh, physically is what they were looking at. So they loved the miracles, weren't too interested in the teaching. So in Matthew 11, we see that it starts off with John the Baptist who had been sent as a forerunner to Christ. And we see that even he begins to doubt that Jesus is the Messiah. And he sends people to ask Jesus, if you're the Messiah, what are you doing? Should we look for another? Come on, bring the kingdom. Let's get me out of jail. He was in jail. And Jesus replies and says, look, in summary, I'm doing the miracles that only the Messiah can do. But the people aren't believing. And he starts calling out, as we talked last week, he starts calling out and saying, Woe to you who have heard this and didn't believe. Don't you realize that the people of Sodom and Gomorrah would have believed if they would have seen this? Don't you realize the people of Nineveh, your enemies, they repented at the preaching of Jonah, but I'm greater than Jonah and you who are supposed to be following after God will not come to me to have eternal life. And he says, you have rejected me. Matthew 12 then comes up and we see, well, maybe there's some hope with the religious leaders. They had the scriptures. They had the prophecies. They saw what Jesus was doing and knew it wasn't whimsical, knew that it was directed at a purpose. Here is the promised Messiah and he was presented in front of them and surely they would know of all people. But we see 
three times in Matthew chapter 12 that the Pharisees reject Jesus. And it gets worse and it gets worse. And the final one in Matthew chapter 12, when Jesus heals and casts out a demon of a man, they said, oh, it's because he works for Satan. That's how he's doing it. And Jesus corrects them and rebukes them. And he calls out the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Says if you're gonna attribute the works that were to point out the Messiah, if you attribute those as a work of the devil, there is no hope for you. No hope for you. Now, as all that winds down and we see he's rejected by the people, he's rejected uh, uh, by the religious leaders. Uh, He came to his own, but his own would not receive them. Then the parables start. So in Matthew 13, verse one, it starts off by saying that very same day, the same day that they attributed his work to the devil, he starts speaking to them in parables. So as a result of their rejection, this is what we see. He speaks in parables. And it says in verse 34 of Matthew 13 that Jesus, when he, from this point forward, when he was talking to the crowds, would not speak to them unless it was with a parable. We talked last week about what the purpose of parables was. And there's twofold, twofold reasons for parables. Number one, is to conceal the knowledge from the people who had rejected Christ. They were gonna get no more. In fact, as he explains, they were gonna be more confused and the little they did have and see and understand was gonna be taken from them. It was a judgment. And literally Jesus was handing them over to the choice they made. As we talked about last week, you cannot stand this far away from the Messiah and watch him do a genuine miracle and go, what else you got? (laughs) It just won't happen. They had their time, they had the preaching, they hardened their heart, and the result was Jesus started changing the ministry. He started withholding knowledge from the mass crowds who weren't interested in him, just what he had to offer. And he spoke to them in parables. Now, there was a second fold purpose to parables. This is what we're familiar with. The second purpose of parables was to reveal more knowledge to those who had received Christ. You see, he says to him who it has been given, uh, he will be given even more. And that's what we love about walking with the Lord is you will continue to learn more about him. You will come to a place where you know it all here on this earth. Uh, You will continue to grow in the Lord and and receive more and you will be encouraged and strengthened in your faith. And uh, it was a blessing. Jesus says, blessed are your eyes because you get to see this and you are receiving me. Do you have any idea how many prophets and godly righteous men of old wished they could be here today, wished this was their day to see this, but they had to die here on this earth trusting in me, walking in me without physically seeing me or seeing the plan of my salvation come to pass. And so we see the blessing that Jesus revealed these parables and then would explain them to his followers. And that was the difference. A parable unexplained just brings up confusion and you think about it a little bit and walk away. A parable explained reveals the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven 
to a soft heart. So it's important to remember that parables aren't cute little stories or illustrations uh, we, you know, that sometimes we might've grown up with in children's church or something. They're specifically related to the rejection uh, of the people, his own people, specifically related to that, to conceal and then to reveal to the people who did receive him. Now we talked about last week, why, why did these people reject Jesus? Did he not do enough miracles? Was he not clear in his teaching? Did he not wait long enough? Maybe if he would have waited another, I don't know, 10, 12 years, maybe they would have received him. Did he not give them enough signs? They asked for a sign, the Pharisees, what sign will you give us? And he's casting out demons and he's healing the blind. And they're like, what else do you got? Just give us one more. And uh, he said, you're not gonna get another sign. You've, you've got enough and you're rejecting me. And we see the heart revealed of of people who have that, that type of attitude. Uh, we see that revealed. And Jesus says uh, in Luke 16, that even if someone were to rise from the dead, they wouldn't believe. And we would find out eventually that that came to pass. Jesus himself raised from the dead and some people still rejected him. So this is the turning point now. We're coming up on parables. Now the story has shifted. When you're reading this sequentially, Matthew, from beginning to end, there's a big turning in the story. The people's rejection caused a change of plans according to the people, but God already knew what was going to happen. He'd already planned for this. And so this was the result now that the people had rejected him. The kingdom of heaven would take a different form. It wasn't gonna come physically right away. And this is the form it would take. It would come spiritually in the heart of those who received him. And then one day it would come fully, physically, and he, the king, would reign on this earth. But that wouldn't happen right away. And so what he's going to do in these next, I believe, uh, six parables here, he's going to explain this new form the kingdom would take. And he will start off with the parable of the sower. And that describes the heart responses to the message of the kingdom of heaven. And he will end his final parable on this day in Matthew 13. And he will end it with uh, what's called the dragnet, which describes the final judgment when uh, sinners and righteous people uh, will be separated. And he will explain what's gonna happen with the kingdom of heaven, but only to his followers. So uh, let's dive in now. I'll start off by reading Matthew 3 through 8 again, and we're gonna pick up some key points here. So he tells this parable, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell on the path, Birds came and ate it up. And as people are hearing this, they're familiar with farming. This is very common. Uh, I don't know how many of you in here have worked on a farm or have worked the ground. Most of us go and get our food from Safeway or Whole Foods. But back then there was like 20 or 30 job descriptions and that was it. Farmer, soldier, priest, uh, think of some other ones, fisherman. There wasn't a lot. There was no independent communications consultants back then, okay? So all jobs were very easy to understand. Uh, if you didn't know someone who was doing that, you probably grew up doing that yourself. Now, one statistic said that there was an estimate that about 90% of the people of that day made their living off the land. 
So either shepherds or farmers. This was very familiar to them. Now, Galilee, we know, was a fishing town, giant sea of Galilee. They would go fish. The disciples were even fishermen. And uh, uh, he's describing this story. He says, look, a farmer went out to sow his seed and he starts scattering it. And it sounds kind of strange to us, right? Wouldn't you plow first? Uh, wouldn't there be other people helping? Uh, but this actually was a somewhat common way of doing it. You just scattered your seed. You scattered your, you scattered your seed. There'd be a pathway and you'd walk up and down on this pathway and it would get harder and harder over time as you walked on it. And that would be your pathway to scatter the seed. And uh, we see that some fell along the side, some fell among the shallow areas where there's some, some rock uh, underneath. Uh, some had some thorns and thistles that were kind of mixed in with it. And the point here is that the sower is spreading seed everywhere, all over. This isn't a very careful taking one seed and digging a little hole and dropping it in and then covering it over and then putting a little dab of water. This is a broadcasting the seed. And now that's what the Greek word means, broadcasting, spreading, dispersing the seed everywhere, just like the Lord has told us to do with his word, spread his word everywhere. Now in parables, it's important to know that there's usually one main point that Jesus is trying to drive home. Jesus is the only one in the New Testament who uh, used parables, and he's driving one point home. But in this parable, he, he describes that uh, all of these characters, if you will, and all these uh, things were related. There's, there's a reason why he's using this. There's a sower, there's a seed, there are soils, uh, there's birds, there's the sun, there's thorns and thistles, and there's fruit, and all of them have a meaning. And he's going to explain what that is. The sower, the sower is Jesus. He's the one that sows the message of his word. Now, not only is it Jesus, but it's also anyone who spreads the message of his kingdom. It's someone who shares the gospel with people shares the message. And that's what he's doing. He's coming and he's sowing. And it's important to also remember that uh, there are two things that are, are held constant in this parable. Even though there's a variety of different things that happen to the seed, the two constants are the sower, it's the same sower, and the seed, the same seed. Now the seed is explained as the message of the kingdom. That's the gospel. And so the Lord is going and he's spreading out the seed everywhere. And he is the same sower and the seed is the same message. It's the same word and it's the same for us today. If we are sharing the gospel and it's the biblical gospel, it's going forth all over the place, but there's different responses. What is different? Well, it's the types of soil. It's the types of soil. The seed doesn't change, the sower didn't change. The soils were what affected the results. So the encouragement in this is going to be for believers who are sharing God's word. And one of the reasons why this is the first parable is this is how you enter the kingdom of heaven. And when you've entered the kingdom of heaven, the next thing you wanna do is tell other people about it. And there's a sense at which we can get discouraged because we don't see the fruit we're expecting. 
if this is the message that it's supposed to be, wouldn't everyone come to Christ? Wouldn't they stay with him? Wouldn't they bear fruit? And so I am so encouraged personally that the Lord laid this down for us so that we would know not to change the message or think something was wrong with us. So let's look at point one, the hard heart. Verse 18 says this. It says, listen to what the parable of the sower means. Now Jesus is going to explain to his disciples when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in the heart. This is the seed sown among the path. Anyone who hears but doesn't understand, the devil comes and snatches it out of the heart. Remember that. This is the person who hears so the term hard heart is because it's alongside the path. It can't get into the ground. It's resistant to it, but there's still some type of an interest there. Jesus is speaking to a crowd, multitudes on multitudes in front of him on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and he's speaking to them in parables because they, they had a hard heart, but they still were interested, kinda, not in the Lord, but they were somewhat interested. This is someone who uh, maybe comes to church. They're halfway interested. Let's see what this is all about. They have Christian friends. Um, uh, you know, the, the idea can be that uh, they're coming to church over and over and over again, and instead of receiving, uh, there's just a wall up. There's a gentle wall. They may not be brash on the outside as some people who are, uh, are very, very, very uh, valiantly against the Lord. You say anything and they come at you hard and say, don't ever talk to me about your savior. I don't believe in God. These are people who are showing up and sitting in the, in the pews. But they sit there over and over again. And just as the farmer season after season is walking up and down that path, the path is getting harder and harder and harder while other people sitting right next to them are growing in the Lord and hearing the exact same word preached. They're becoming more and more resistant. And here's how you will know, if you've ever talked to someone and there was kind of an interest there and you're excited because you're a believer and you're going, they're interested in the Lord. It's my friend from work. It's my cousin. It's my nephew. It's my neighbor. They didn't say, stop talking. That's a big deal, right? So you're sharing with them and you see kind of an interest come on them. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, and they share their concerns. You talk to them again a week or day later and you start realizing that it's going nowhere. It's going nowhere. The same concerns they had at the beginning, they have again. Their heart's in the same place, nothing's changed. You're saying the same gospel to them over and over again. But they're bringing up the same reason why they're not coming to him. Their heart's been hard. Their, their heart has been hard. And what has happened? All those things that you've shared with them have been snatched away as you left. They were pondered about for a few seconds, a few minutes, maybe even. And then something came up and they're off to the next thing. It was not that important to them. Now, I would say an example of this could be uh, sometimes kids raised in church. I was raised in church from a young age. Uh, and you get to a point where if you just harden your heart, uh, you can hear these things over and over again and you will not grow. 
And you start becoming further away from the Lord the more you hear these things. And the opposite is supposed to happen. And what's the problem? It's not the seed, it's not the sower, it's the person's heart. They have hardened their heart. Now, I mentioned before, it's very interesting in this verse that it says that the devil has snatched it out of the heart. This wasn't just laid in front of the heart. This wasn't just presented to the the, the ears. What does Hebrews 4.12 say about the word of God that's preached? It says, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Guess what? The word of God still gets in. But on a hard heart, it doesn't remain in. It gets snatched out. Spurgeon talked about this and he said, how how horrible it is that the word of God would become devil's food because of a hard heart. And that's this first person. So we mentioned before, it's not the ears or the eyes that were the problem of the people who hardened their heart towards God. It's a problem of their heart. That's the result, that's the problem. Now, this is what I would encourage you in. So say you have someone right now you're speaking to and you, you know right away, first soil, that person's hard-hearted. Your first temptation would be to go, is it me or is it the gospel I'm presenting? Maybe I'm doing it wrong. Well, here's the encouragement. Number one, uh, if you're teaching the biblical gospel that Jesus taught, it's not the gospel's problem. Maybe you aren't teaching the gospel. Go to the word and find out, 1 Corinthians 15, three through four. Look it up. If that is what you are sharing with people, you're sharing the gospel. So it's not the gospel's problem. It's not the word's problem. Okay, is it you? You're sowing these seeds. Well, I would say this. If you're not disqualifying yourself by doing opposite what you're speaking, then it's not you. But sadly, there are people who say the right gospel and are living in sin, And that could be the reason that someone is rejecting what you're saying. And quite honestly, uh, I think that's pretty well deserved. If you think about it, uh, uh, I remember those times when I knew people who would uh, say things that I knew were right, but I looked at their life and said, I don't think they're even a Christian. So why are they telling me about this stuff? I didn't think it was true because of who was saying it. So is that always a reason? Absolutely not. That can be a reason, but usually it is not. The heart is the problem. So the encouragement today is keep going, keep sowing. Let's look at number two, the shallow heart. Now, if the first heart was hard, this heart is the exact opposite. It's soft, It's so soft, it receives uh, immediately, the word says. And with joy, it seems as if there's immediate fruit. But then it goes on to say, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. And Jesus says, when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Just as quick as they came, they're right back out again. So what is this? Um, In this, The problem is that they have no root. They have no root. The word came in and it stayed longer than the first person. There wasn't a hard heart there, but uh, the word word had no root. They didn't let the word go down 
deep. Uh, they believed part of it or they believed it for a little bit, they, uh, but they did not let God's word seep into every part of their soul. They came to God for whatever reason, and, uh, but, and, and there was an emotional response at first. I mean, someone else seeing this could say, no, you don't understand. I mean, they were crying. And then uh, we shared the gospel with them. They said, I know it's true. And there were tears. And then there was joy and they were singing praises and they were the ones jumping up and down and they were the ones uh, getting into this. But what happens? It says, persecution comes in trouble, comes. And that in the, the parable Jesus gave was the sun. The sun comes up and exposes that they had no root had no root. Now, maybe they thought it was gonna be easy. Well, let me tell you, coming to Christ, believing on the gospel, in one sense, is incredibly easy. If you have a soft heart towards the Lord and you know the truth that he died for you, you can't do it, and you want him to forgive you, and you come to him, and you call on his name, you will be saved, the Bible says. When you come for any other reason, or you come with half intentions, or uh, you're, you're not even counted the cost in the sense of what this really even means, uh, for whatever reason, um, no, there are times where it's incredibly hard to be a Christian. Incredibly hard. And notice the reason here, it's not just things like tornadoes or uh, losing a job, but it's specifically listed here uh, when trouble or persecution comes because of the word. That seed in there is why this persecution is happening. That's why your friends won't talk to you anymore. That's why they're laughing behind your back. That's maybe even why you got passed up for the promotion. That's maybe even why you couldn't get hired as a teacher somewhere. Whatever it is, it's because of the, the, the seed itself, the message itself, the fact that you're holding on to Christ. You're, in the, you're coming, you're going, no, no, no I, 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 I'm coming, I wanna come to Christ. And then you start realizing it's hard. I'm losing people. This is dividing things in my life. In parts of the world, becoming a Christian is a death sentence. And if someone didn't realize that, then all of a sudden their friends are saying, you know, I'm gonna turn you in and you're gonna go to prison and you'll probably be killed. This is the person that goes, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not why I came to Christ. That's not what I thought it was about. Maybe you're a missionary to the Philippines and you're trying to spread God's word and then you get typhoid and you almost die. You've got a choice. You go, this isn't what I signed up for. Or a Christian goes, I'm drawn closer to the Lord. Why would I run away from him? A believer runs to the Lord. An unbeliever goes, I am so glad I found this out right now because I am out of here. If you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress, this is Pliable, who left with Pilgrim and was walking with them on the path. How great, another companion came along. They fall into uh, uh, the slew of despair uh, and they're, they're in there, or despond. They're in there and Pliable goes, whoa, wait a minute. This is difficult. This isn't fun and exciting. I'm out of here. And he returns back to his laughing friends. 
Now, this happens when preaching the correct gospel. But here's the sad thing. There are some ministries that will purposely change the gospel to draw more people in, and this is the result. Not of preaching the right gospel, but of altering the gospel. Maybe you've heard about the health and wealth gospel. They say, come to the Lord and you'll be rich. He wants to give you money. Come to the Lord and you'll be healthy. Who wants to be sick? Come on, Jesus healed people. He's going to heal you, promised is what they say. His will is to always heal you. Bill Johnson Bethel Church said that. I do not believe in a theology that would allow for sickness. And Joel Osteen says, hey, favor. God wants to bless you, your best life now. Boy, are the people who follow them very shocked when all of a sudden persecution comes, uh, not just generally in life, but because they're a Christian. Because of that reason, they don't have favor with their friends or family. There's division and hardness and roughness. They're not getting promoted at work. They're getting passed up at work because they're a Christian. They're getting killed because they're a Christian. Those ministries set people up with a false gospel and purposely, the result of this is purposely through negligence, maybe not intentionally, but uh, set people up for this. Uh, a very uh, famous Calvary Chapel pastor um, in Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia, Joe Foch, or Foch, he shared one time at a pastor's conference and just kind of gave a quick testimony. And he said, well, I started off in the health and wealth gospel with my wife. And we stayed there until we were poor and sick. <laughs> and he said, we thought, you know, something's probably wrong with what we are believing here. He starts diving into the word of God and he starts realizing the truth that yeah, persecution is going to come, Jesus says, specifically because of the word. You wanna be my disciple? Deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me, he says. That's what a Christian is. That's what you're in for. Come to me for that reason. You won't be surprised. And now he teaches, he's a lead pastor, Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia, a huge church, and he's teaching. And I'm sure he has a heart for preaching the correct gospel because he doesn't want people to end up this way on his doing. And sadly, some people will end up there anyway because of the condition of their heart. So the takeaway for the shallow heart is this. The test, if someone is a Christian, isn't their emotional reaction when they got saved. It isn't uh, even joy. Was there joy? There was joy for a little bit. That does not mean they were saved. Why? The proof, Jesus says, they fell away. Let's look at the divided heart. Verse 22. Now the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. So here we have someone who's heard the word, but two things happen, the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth spring up with it and they're in competition. And the result is the thorns and thistles win. They make it unfruitful. These are the people who want Christ and money or Christ and 
success, Christ and fame, Christ and whatever. Now they want Christ. There's a genuineness in them that says, I want Christ. Yes, are you kidding? Of course I want Christ. But they also want money. Or they also want, uh, fill in the blank. What do people want these days? And sometimes there's the misinterpretation of thinking that uh, Christ is going to give them those things and that's why they're coming to him. Well, we'll correct that right now. Number one, it is not a sin to be rich or have money at all. Bible says that very clearly. It's the love of money over the love of God. Money, just, you know, what's why it's mentioned so many times in the Bible is because you can get any physical pleasure from having money. So you can cut right to the heart and see if people are after uh, the physical pleasures in life or if they're after God himself. So you can start as, as someone who wants to come to the Lord and you can go, no, I want Jesus. And, and you're hearing the message and you haven't hardened your heart. Uh, and it's not just emotionalism. Uh, it's not just, you know, gosh, I guess I was just really sad that day and that's why I wanted the Lord. No, it's, you kind of want him. The problem is you want money just as much. And this is what Matthew 6.24 says. Jesus says this right before these chapters in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Again, that does not mean you can't be rich and be a Christian. What that means is if riches are your God, you can't serve God. David Guzik said this. He said, here's an easy principle to test yourself. You will always sacrifice for your God. If you sacrifice for money, but won't sacrifice for Jesus, don't be deceived, money is your God. And this is someone who has come to the Lord and it's growing up together. They're, they're, they're standing on the shore. They like hearing Jesus. It's getting in there, but there's other things in there too. And so Jesus is saying, choose, choose. And, and they did not end up choosing the Lord Jesus. This would be the rich young ruler in scripture who comes to Jesus and he said, yeah, follow me. And he says, yeah, I'm a good guy, Jesus. Okay, so sell all your possessions and follow me. That's my will for your life right now. And the man turns away and walks back to his riches. That's this heart right here, the divided heart. This is uh, Demas, who Paul calls out and said, he was walking with me for a while. He was helping me minister, but then he left me. He loved this present world more than he loved Christ. This is the, these are the people who said, Jesus, I'll follow you, but first, I bought some land. I've gotta go check it out. Uh, you know, really gotta go there right now. And he goes, follow me. Follow me, follow me, follow me. Put me first. The rest of Matthew chapter six, Jesus says this. He goes, don't worry about the cares of the world. Don't worry about all these things that, that the Gentiles or the unsaved rush after. Trust that the Lord is going to provide with you when you're walking with me. Put me first, Matthew 6, 33. Put me first. And if you're playing this game, if you've, you've been hearing the gospel and you know I'm playing that game, 
Tonight, make the choice. Don't be divided any longer. Sell out to Christ. First Timothy 6, 10 says this. For the love of money, again, the love of money, is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Spurgeon again tells stories back in his days in the 1800s of men who he would counsel who would say, you know, I wasn't always rich, but now I am and I have to go to the society parties if I want my company to succeed and I have to do this and then uh, I have to do this and I have to have this and, and it's just an all-consuming thing and how I wish I was poor again, really, was their cry because that was the reason they were saying they weren't following Christ. And I, I heard that and I thought, what was it in the 1800s that would have been worth giving up Christ for? I, I would just, I would, looking back now, I would laugh. They didn't have cars, they didn't have planes, they didn't have iPhones. Come on, what did you have? <laughs> Seriously, it's a joke. So now, look at us today. Stand in eternity and look back. What wouldn't you give up today to walk with Christ? Was it really worth it? The iPhones, the status, the money, the friends, the whatever it is, the fame, the fortune, the success, the security temporarily on this earth, it was worth it? It's a joke. It's been a joke for thousands of years. We can look back and see uh, just the futility in that. But somehow when we're in it today, we go, oh no, but today, no, we're top of the line. It's the best technology. It's worth it today is, is the lie we tell ourselves. It's not worth it. Put Christ first. Now, what people usually ask about this soil is they ask, well, wait a minute, was this person saved? And here's, I think, the reason that we all ask that because this hits really close to home for us. We can look in our lives and go, wow, there's areas in my life where I spend more time doing uh, uh, this, in essence, maybe even serving money than, than with the Lord. I know it's wrong. Uh, uh, gosh, Lord, I, you'd have to test my heart. I don't even know how close this gets uh, in this. Is this me? And Yes, we live in a fast-paced world today. Yes, we're tempted with riches. Everywhere you turn, that's what the world screams. But this is the answer to the question. Can you truly be saved and, and receive God's word and let its fruit come up in your life? Can you truly be saved but have no fruit? This says it makes it unfruitful completely. This is the person who was, uh, was divided and it was a struggle. Maybe for a time, uh, it looked like the seed was gonna win and maybe the thistles were gonna win, but no, it was, was divided, divided, divided. And finally, the person said, I just have to go with the money and the success. This person gave up on Christ before they truly were saved for they truly made the decision. It is impossible to be a believer and be saved and have zero fruit, zero fruit. 
And what's so sad is this person was so close. Of all the soils who uh, end up rejecting Christ in the end, this was decent soil. Think about it. If thistles and thorns will grow in soil, so will wheat and good stuff. This had a chance. This could have worked. But it never fully matured. It was on track, but jumped off, turned away from Christ. This was not just a uh, less than fruitful Christian. This was someone that never completely came to Christ. Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20 says, the proof of being saved is fruit, is fruit. Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Interesting, he uses thistles again. And later on in the parable, that's gonna have a meaning. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. You cannot be saved and have no fruit, no fruit. Perhaps this is what James was talking about when he says, people said, oh no, I believe in God. I just have nothing to show for it. No changed life, uh, no fruit of repentance, no fruit of walking with the Lord now, no fruit of, of God changed me. I'm different now on the inside and it's not from me. It's fruit from his salvation. Impossible. There's no way. Now we're gonna look at the final soil, the fruitful heart. Verse 23 says this, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So someone who hears the word and understands it has come to Christ and God's word planted in a heart that receives him produces fruit, produces fruit. This is a believer and fruit is the true test of salvation. God's word took hold of this person's life and bore fruit, wasn't cut short. So I'd ask you, can you look at your life after coming to Christ and, and can you look back and see that uh, there's fruit of holiness? Any fruit of holiness in your life? Any fruit of Christian character now coming through in your life? Now that you say that you've come to Christ, is there any fruit of a heart for the lost? Do you realize the trouble that people are in? Do you want them to be saved, which is God's will for all of them? Fruit of a heart that's been changed for the Lord. Do you have a heart just to serve the Lord? And are you just doing it? Are you doing something for the kingdom? Not that that earns your salvation, but that is a result of a heart that's been changed. Are you praising God in the midst of trials? There's a great test. Are you that shallow soil? Trials come and you go, I'm out of here. Well, I'm back in church again. You know, it's been five years because, you know, this hard thing happened. And well, here I am again, you know. Are you walking with Christ? Do you see that fruit of going, yes, it's hard. And so I've, 
I've been calling on the name of the Lord. I've been surrounding myself with people. I'm praying to him. And yes, there is a temptation to leave or to, to do this. Yes, we feel that, we see that, but a believer is gonna come in and press into the Lord. The biggest fruit that I see here is faithfulness. I look back on my life and go, there is a faithfulness in walking with the Lord that I know for a fact it was not in my heart before. And I can see it over time. I can see that fruit and it's reassuring. You know that I've trusted and believed. I'm not kidding myself. I'm not really after the money. I'm not really after the emotional experience. I'm not really after uh, anything else, but I'm after God. And I've seen, I've seen my heart change simply because I received his offer of salvation. And the longer you walk with the Lord in that, the more fruit you see in your life. And maybe it's not as much as someone else. Look at what it says here in the text. Some produce 30 times what was sown. Some produce 60 times what was sown. Some 100. That's not saying converts. It's not saying you save 30 people or 60 people. That's just fruit. That's godly fruit that cannot come from your own wicked heart otherwise. Now, in every parable, there is a driving home point, a wow factor. And in this parable, this is it. It's the amount of fruit. Now, one commentator said that the average return uh, for a crop was about 7.5%, maybe less than 10%. So when he finishes this and goes 30, 60, or 100, that's whoa, 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 wait a minute. That's incredible fruit. That's crazy fruit. Nobody gets 30 or 60 or 100. No way. That would be like today if we were investing. You say, okay, if you invest your money today in the bank, you'll get 1.85%, maybe, right? It'd be like somebody saying, how would you like to make 300%? You're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Now you're talking crazy. Is this legal? You know, no way. Uh, you know, how would you like to make 1,000%? You're nuts. Be talking about, okay? This is the point of this, that fruit will come when someone receives God's word and receives Christ himself. Fruit's gonna come out of your life that doesn't come on normal returns, like from reading a self-help book. There's your 7.5%. You try to fix it yourself. That's the kind of return you're gonna get. But when you surrender to the Lord, you receive his word, stuff starts coming out that you will never, ever, ever be able to do on your own, period. You will have a love for the Lord. You will want to be doing what's good. You will want to be sharing the gospel with people or praying for them if you're, if you're nervous or new or whatever it is. You will have a heart for the Lord that's 30, 60, or 100. And here's what this is not saying. It's not saying if you're 30, you should be 60. Or if you're 60, you should be 100. It's just saying whatever God has given you, he's prepared the work ahead of time for you to walk in. Ephesians 2 says, 8, 9, 10, and 11. God's already prepared good works for you. You receive him, you walk with him, good fruit will be coming. He knows the gifts he's given you. He knows how he's gonna use you for his kingdom. You remain in him and you will bear much fruit. It's an incredible return. So here's... Uh, the ending, sowers, true believers in this room continue to sow the true gospel. Continue to sow the true gospel. And God is always faithful. That word will penetrate the heart, 
uh, who, who wants to truly know the Lord and it will produce a fruit. You don't have to fake it. You don't have to force it. You preach the word and the word will produce fruit. God's promise, not ours. Soils, okay, so maybe you're hearing this, you're going, look, I know I haven't come all the way to Christ. There was maybe some emotion. There was maybe some of this. Uh, you know something is majorly off. You have never seen fruit in your life. You look back and go, I'm doing the same things I was before. I don't see any freedom from that. I, I, I'm stumbling in all the same areas. There's no, there's no difference between the day I received, the, before I received Christ and the day after I received Christ. There's no difference. Two years, three years later, everything's exactly the same. The Bible's calling you out saying, something ain't right. And so here's the good news, that though it was veiled to the crowds back then who had had enough, Jesus said, and said, I'm calling it, they rejected me. It's unveiled before you today. Because in the word right now, you're getting the same explanation that Jesus gave to his disciples. So don't pass this day up. Here's the explanation. Stop faking. Just come to him. Let him change you. Let him change you. Will it make you rich? No guarantee. It might make you less rich. Will it make you healthy? Guarantee just that you're gonna live 120 years as some, some people have falsely said? No, you might die earlier. What will it guarantee you? Christ. You will have Jesus and there will be fruit. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for this parable, entrance into the kingdom, this, this new kingdom that was coming, that was gonna start in people's hearts that one day, you would bring physically when you rule and reign on this earth. God, I can just attest that I have been every single one of those soils. And looking back now, having finally surrendered to you, I can see how foolish it was. It is not worth it. We're not fooling anyone. God, we just pray that uh, everyone who's heard this message uh, would not let it be stolen from their hearts, would be encouraged during trials. No, I'm turning to Christ. He will give me what I need. And when they're being divided by money as opposed to coming to Christ, we pray that they would leave it all behind and follow you. And you said, it will be worth it. We may not see that now physically, just like they didn't see the kingdom physically yet but there will be a day when you repay each one what is due. There's a reward for this crop. And the biggest reward is being with you forever. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org. 